So if you know of sin in your life, whatever it might be, repent, stop it. But then come to God and receive his grace and mercy and kindness and now start living for him because behavior defines belief. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. On our last broadcast, David took us to the story of Israel wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. What was God trying to teach his people? And what can you and I learn from this Old Testament story? Here's David picking up in the 26th chapter of Leviticus in the conclusion of his message, Blessings and Curses. Now, people ask the question, how long did they stay in the, in the captivity? Well, look at verse 34. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. Now, now what is that referring to? If you go back to Leviticus 25, and we skipped this in our study, look at verse 2. God said through Moses, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. So when the people entered the promised land, God said not only keep the weekly Sabbath of worship, not only keep the holy festivals that we did look at, but every seventh year, give the land rest. During that seventh year, don't work the land. Give it a year off. You can do other things, but I want the land to rest, probably from God's standpoint, to give it nutrients, make it more fruitful. But the bottom line, it was his land. He owned it. He said, give the land rest. And as you saw in Leviticus 26, they didn't do it. They never gave the Sabbath seventh year rest. So God said, into the captivity. And interestingly, as you read Jeremiah, you see that the people were in that captivity for 70 years. 70 times seven. When they entered the promised land through Joshua, they had been in the land 490 years when the Babylonian captivity occurred. So they were basically in captivity for every year they didn't give the land rest. And for those of you who know your biblical history, the first captivity took place with Babylon in 605 BC. They returned to the land in 535 BC. They were taken into captivity and stayed there for 70 years. There were 77-year cycles of God's judgment that the people didn't heed the seven-fold idea. The people didn't heed, and then God ultimately brought his destruction upon the land. Now, at any point during the process, and this is what the prophets said from Isaiah through Malachi, guys, repent. Our God is gracious, good, loving, and kind. Repent and come back to him, and he'll restore you to the covenant. 
Now, the best definition of repentance I've ever heard is stop it. Stop it. But there's more to it than just stopping it. It's not only stopping the behavior that's destructive, it's replacing it with right behavior that brings the blessing. But the people of Israel didn't listen to the prophets who warned. And as a result, there was ultimate devastation. Now, this is a terrible message if I leave you there because it's not the end of the message. If you read verses 40 through 45, you see God saying, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. Then he goes on to say, if you'll just repent, confess your iniquity, stop your behavior, start living according to my desires, I'm gonna bring you back. And that's exactly what God did. This remnant in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years came back. And if you know your biblical history, he brought back first Ezra and his company. And they rebuilt what? Who knows? The temple. And then later, he brought back Nehemiah. And Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. God restored the people. He gives promised restoration Dear friends, our God is not a God of destruction. And if he does judge, it's always for the purpose of restoration. So I want to talk to you for just a few moments about what that means for you today. First of all, I believe for all of you out there who've walked away from God, walked contrary to God, not obeyed what he wants you to do and to be, and you have messed up your life royally, I'm here to tell you today that our God, through Jesus Christ, is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of grace, mercy, kindness, and love. He's ready to accept you back. But he does ask you to repent, stop your behavior, but then start obeying what he wants you to do and to be. There's no sin any of you have ever committed that's beyond the love and forgiveness of our Father through Jesus Christ. None. Zero. His desire is to restore you. His desire is to make you whole again, to bring you back to the land and make you the people in covenant he's always desired you to be. So today, no matter what you've done, return to the Lord. Be restored in his grace. His love is always stronger than our sin. Please, just confess your sins. Have a humble heart. Repent and live now for him. There's always hope. I am the Lord, he said. Believe that today. Secondly, though, I want to talk to you about our nation. I want to give a warning. I feel the Lord has laid this on my heart. Now, the theocracy of Israel is not necessarily America. This covenant was with Israel, though I would argue vociferously that the original founders of our nation who took their tiny little boats into the Massachusetts Harbor declared America as the new Israel. They believed this was a promised land that had been given, and they dedicated it to the Lord. Now, you cannot say that America is a Christian nation, but I think you can say that America was mostly found by Christians. 
the writers of our Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, all our former and proper letters were written primarily by people with a deep faith in God through Jesus Christ. It's written on different buildings in Washington, D.C. that stand today. The top of the Washington Monument says, to God be the glory. So it's difficult to argue that there's not an influence of Judeo-Christian values upon America today. And I believe we are a greatly blessed nation because a number of people throughout our history have tried to live by God's grace through Jesus Christ. Certainly we have our blights. Like slavery, it's awful. Like women's rights, it's terrible. About what we did to Native Americans, it's horrific. But interestingly, the Supreme Court through the years mostly passed laws to solve those problems. And they did so largely rooted in an understanding of natural law revealed through God in Jesus Christ. But we've entered into new territory over the last 50, 60 years. And it breaks my heart. It saddens my soul. If you look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, you'll see that when God called Abram to be his covenant partner and that through his seed, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and the formation of the nation of Israel, he promised these blessings to them, particularly the blessings of the land. But then in Genesis 15, 6, he says to Abram, you're going to have to wait 400 years before you get into the land. That's basically Genesis 50 to Exodus 1, 400 years in that Egyptian bondage. And God said, you're going to be there for those 400 years until the sin of the Ammonites is completed. Read it, Genesis 15, 6. Until the sin of the Ammonites is completed. What's God saying there? Every nation goes through cycles of obedience and disobedience to God. And there's a point where every nation goes through what I call Popeye theology. That's where God says, that's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. That that nation reaches the completion of its sin and God's judgment will be totally upon it. Only God knows where that is. And it's generally interesting to me that most every nation in the history of the world has existed for around three to 400 years. We're in around 275 of our existence as a nation. God warns through prophets when nations begin that downward spiral And I wonder if in the last 50 to 60 years we've entered that. In the 1960s, we took prayer out of the public schools. God's a gentleman. If we don't want him present, he'll leave. We saw a sexual profligacy that started in our nation. We separated sex from the whole idea of having children. Marriage became second rate. No divorce, no fault divorce laws occurred. Then in 1973, the Supreme Court justices, and you do know the word judge or justice in the Bible is Elohim. In the Hebrew, that word means God. Judges in the Bible are called gods. Why? Because they dispense on this side of eternity the one thing that is God's right only to do, and that's to pronounce justice. So in 1973, the Supreme Court justices passed a law that said it's okay to invade a woman's womb because it's her right to choose to take away the life of a child. I know some of you don't believe that child's a life. I do. Every life has a beginning and every life has an end. The beginning is the beginning point of that life conception. 
by scientific technology and neonatology, we've been able to look inside a woman's womb and we see that every one of the chromosomes necessary for full life happen at conception. We see that at 21 days, there's a heartbeat. We see that the brain soon forms thereafter. We see children at two and three months sucking their thumb in the womb. And yet America allows partial birth abortions after 20 weeks. We are one of only six nations in the world that allows it, along with our bedfellows, Cuba, China, and North Korea. But now for the first time in our history, more people are pro-life than pro-choice. The reason being, people knows what happens in that womb. I pray our justices who are to dispense justice will come to grips with the almost 60 million children that have been lost. But even though they've gotten some things right through the decades and centuries, they've got this one dead wrong. And I fear for God's justice. And there needs to be a warning. And for those of us who sit on the sidelines and do nothing, say nothing, believe nothing, are people most to be pitied. There's a judgment of God that comes unless we repent. And then the way people have lived together carelessly without marriage. The if-then of his warnings have to be a part of my calling. My job is not to get a lot of people who love me. My job is to tell you the truth. And there is a warning that God must give this nation. Listen to me. Listen to me. If Supreme Court justices can pronounce judgment upon the Lord God of this universe... Don't you suspect with me that one day the Lord God of this universe will pronounce judgment upon them and the nation they oversee? He has to, or he's not God, and he's not just himself. So I give you that warning, and there seems to be cycles of seven years in that warning biblically that we just looked at, like in the land, the seven cycles, year cycles that the people paid no attention to. And I'd like to invite you to go back to the 60s when I think all this foolishness really began and to look at the seven-year cycles, the 1967 oil embargo where our finances shook. God always does shakings, and he usually shakes our idols. Money is our idol in America. In 1973, we had the huge oil problem in the Mideast, and some of you can remember having to stand in line with your automobiles sometimes two, three, four hours just to get a tank of gas. I'm looking around the room, seeing my younger friends going, okay, let me keep moving forward. 1980, <laughs> two years, one of the deepest recessions we ever had. Jimmy Carter was not reelected because he didn't have enough helicopters to go in and try to save the Iranian hostages. Jimmy Carter wasn't elected because the economy was in a tank. And we elected Ronald Reagan to get us out. But from 1980 to 82, it was a mess. Then in 1987, okay, getting a little bit older, a little bit younger. Any of you remember Black Monday? The stock market dropped 22 percentage points in one day. 1994 began the mortgage crisis that eventually contributed to the debt problem. In 2001, remember that? 9-11 9-11 happened. Then on the 29th of September, the economy tanked. There was a shaking in our nation. Then in 2008, seven-year cycle, remember that? A little more up to date. The Great Recession. The result of a lot of different things, but the Great Recession. Some of us lost as much as 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% of our income, our life savings. I think God was shaking the nation. And we didn't listen. 
I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus said very clearly, don't give specific times. I'm not. But he did also say, look at the seasons. Look at what's going on around you and be ready. I felt God telling me to warn you. I don't know what to do except be ready for whatever may come. Two final thoughts. One is, for those of you who are asking, what do I do now? I'm I'm a little scared, David. Here's the first thing I want to tell you. Rush into the arms of Jesus. Did you know Jesus' name in the Hebrew means safety? You're never safer than when you're in the arms of Jesus. When you rush deeply into him and he rushes deeply into you, he will be your safety. He will be your protection. He will take care of his people. He promised it. Secondly, the safest place to be is right in the middle of the will of God. So if you know of sin in your life, whatever it might be, repent, stop it. But then come to God and receive his grace and mercy and kindness and now start living for him because behavior defines belief. Behavior defines belief. And if your life has truly been changed, you will do what God wants you to do. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with an insightful conversation about ways to secure a strong, happy marriage. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, just wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope, David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center, and the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up all the meals will shift to the dream center with the kitchen you helped us do so we're so grateful for you guys god bless you god bless moments of hope and we just pray an unlimited return harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry thank you very much 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jen. It is a pleasure always to be with you. Well, you called this morning's moment of hope, lock the door from the outside. Oh my, I have been preaching this one since I started in ministry, and it's because I have such a heart for marriage and the family. Let me begin by saying this, though. I know that there are some number of listeners out there who are divorced and have gone through a very painful separation in marriage, and please know that I know your pain. I know what you've been through, and the Bible does say that God hates divorce because he knows what it does to generational Mm -hmm. sin, but he does not hate divorcee. He loves people who have been through divorces, forgives, gives new life. And if you have gone through a divorce and everything biblically has fallen into line with your ability to remarry, I want you to do so with this in mind as well. So so here's the truth I'm trying to get across today, Jen, is if you are married, you practice now a covenant, not a commitment, a covenant. It is a binding agreement between you and your beloved forever. The word covenant is used many times throughout the Bible to describe God's relationship with us. It means it's an immutable promise, an immutable commitment, something that can never be broken. So therefore, when you use the word covenant in marriage, and when I married my Marilyn 43 years ago, I said to her, and I do promise and covenant. Mm -hmm. This whole idea of covenant needs to be a part of our marriage, and it basically means that we lock the door from the outside. We're saying at that moment, I can't get out. I'm going to make this thing work no matter what. Now, I I do know that in some situations there's been physical and severe mental abuse, and in those situations, at least you should separate 1 Corinthians 7 and protect yourself. God is not calling you to stay in a covenantal marriage when there's abuse. In fact, I would say that covenant's been broken when there's any physical and especially severe emotional abuse. But In normal marriages, when we're trying to make them work, lock the door from the outside, say, I'm practicing covenant, I'm not getting out, and here's the amazing thing. If you realize you can't get out, you look at your partner and you say, I'm going to make this work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find ways to love you. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, to be patient and kind, not jealous, selfish, or, or rude. I'm going to find ways to love you. And when you do that over time and you start loving each other, the issues that were there start to fade and go away, and you can practice love in a covenanted marriage relationship. This is so beautiful and so powerful. I heard recently that marriages have been falling apart kind of like crazy. I know that's a scientific phrase there, but but lots of children at schools, at Christian schools I'm hearing are submitting requests for praying for their parents because they're talking about a divorce mm. more than ever. And I just wonder if you have a word to say to the church right now to, to strengthen marriage. Yeah, that you made a covenant and it's rooted in God's covenant to you. He'll never break that covenant with you. You don't break that covenant with one another. Mm. Stay married. Don't ever say the D word to your spouse, ever. Don't use divorce. Say the back door's locked from the outside. We're going to work through this. I'm going to learn how to love you. I may not like you right now, but I'm going to learn how to love you. And as you practice love toward your beloved, love feelings will return, and you can build that foundation for the sake of the kids, stay in the marriage. One more time. For the sake of the kids, stay in the marriage so that this country and your own kids can be healthy 
and whole. Powerful. Thank you so much, David. That's my word for the day. May everyone hopefully heed them, believe them, and practice them in Jesus' name. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for godly leaders in our country.